Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Just as a heads up, we are holding in-person services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Also, if you'd like to join us for a to-go meal, we are serving those every Wednesday through our Bread of Life Cafe at 5.30 p.m. If you'd like to get more connected to our church, feel free to email centralchurch1 at gmail.com or call us at 513-481-5820. We look forward to hearing from you. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Great to be with you. Great to worship with you. Um, I decided to come down here and be a little closer because uh, there's fewer of us today. And I thought maybe I would also just kind of uh, make things a little different today, if you don't mind. Uh, Maybe you can entertain me and uh, play along here, but we'll see. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach a message. But at any point, if you have a question, I want you to just like get my attention and ask it. I'm opening myself up for you to do that. Not because I need you to question me, but because the Word of God is complex. And sometimes it's just good to follow these things together. So, if you have any questions about the Gospel of John... Oh, there's a question right now. Um, When you were sharing with me, one of our readers from Egypt had given her a question about... Where does it say, where does Jesus himself say that he was the son of God, literally, like that? Mm. And that whole reading just makes me realize, I I can't describe Jesus' disposition, but it would not be like him to say, oh, I'm Jesus, son of God. Yeah, sure. But I mean, how do you explain that to somebody that has that? Ah. So the question was, uh, where, if anywhere, does Jesus say that he is the Son of God? Where does he come out right and say it? And this was asked by somebody from another culture, in all honesty. Uh, so they might expect that differently than we do. So when it comes to the, like, terms like Son of God, Son of Man, um, Jesus calls himself Son of Man, right? He does call himself that several times as how he identifies himself. That's a reference to Daniel chapter 7 specifically, where Jesus associates himself with one like a son of man who is seated with the ancient of days. So it's a big claim that he's making, but does he ever call himself son of God? And really what we have here is throughout the Gospels, especially John, uh, we have these moments where other people identify him as the son of God. Even at the moment he's at the cross, the centurion looks at him and says, truly, this was the Son of God. It's not something like you're saying that Jesus looks at himself and says, I must be great. I am the Son of God. Instead, other people say that about him. He doesn't deny that they're telling the truth about him, but he lets other people come to that realization and declare it for him. It's going to be all the way from people who meet him to the letters of Paul, like the very beginning of Romans. We see that Paul declares that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of David, specifically. He's in that line. So, no, it's not something that he necessarily applies to himself outright, but he lets other people do the identifying for him, which is really cool if you think about it. Like, other people realize that this is the Son of God. Great question. Yeah. 
And as I go through this message, feel free to just get my attention again. And if you have questions, I, I, love, I love pondering these things with you and asking God to meet us in this. But let's just begin in the crux of this message, where I really want to go with this. I want to talk about this statement that Jesus gives us. Before Abraham was, I am. And I love that this passage doesn't explain to like a modern reader why they picked up stones to throw at him. We have to do a little digging to understand why this was so offensive to people in this setting. Why the Jewish leaders at this time were so frustrated with him. And what you have here is this building tension. They're going back and forth. They're trying to see, are we really descendants of Abraham? And Jesus is going to redefine what it means to be a descendant of Abraham. More on that in a little bit. But Jesus has this striking statement. He says, Your father Abraham was overjoyed to see my day, and he saw it and he was glad. Then the Jewish leaders replied, You're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham came into existence, I am. Now, a couple quick things to note. In Greek, sometimes when you have, it's this phrase called ego I me, that really just means I am in English, or I exist. Sometimes, it, the ego I me is throughout the Gospels all over the place. Not every time does it say I am, it might say I am he. Because sometimes you have to supply a pronoun to go with it to make sense. But in this scenario, it's pretty clear that Jesus just leaves it, I am. What is the significance of this? The significance is this is the very same way that God identified himself to Moses in the burning bush. Now, what we have written in the Pentateuch and Exodus is written in Hebrew. And what's going to happen is Moses is going to look at this and the best thing that he can come up with is this God's name, the creator God, the God of Israel, his name is I am who I am. I am who I am. <laughs> and the shorter way of saying that, instead of saying I am who I am, is I am. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the same phrase was used, ego I me. Jesus is using this same idea that before Abraham even came into existence, I am. So you start to see the tension come to this boiling point because Jesus is identifying himself very explicitly to a first century Jewish person as the creator God, as the God who met Moses in the burning bush, as the God of Israel. He is identifying himself mysteriously as both a man and that God at the same time. That's why they start to pick up stones to throw at him, because he's doing something pretty offensive. You don't just make that claim, but Jesus does. Here's the other thing to note here. Jesus doesn't go back and say, I was before Adam, because Abraham's covenant with God is like the pinnacle of the origin story of the Jewish people. Like if you counted on anything, in your story, in the story of your nation, it was the covenant that God made with Abraham. 
So what he made with Abraham was supposed to be the means by which God rescued the world. Because God said through Abraham that he would bless all the nations. Jesus is that final moment where the gospel, the good news, is going to go out to all the nations. So we have this complex idea here, but let's just boil it down. They're upset with him because he's claiming a divine nature, but not just any divine nature. He's specifically associating himself as the God who was there in the beginning, the God who was even there before the covenant with Abraham was made. And if you don't accept this, all you can do is pick up stones to throw at this guy. If you do accept this, you're in for a life that is mysterious, but eternal and joyful. A couple quick allusions. So we talked about the fact that through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. But I also want to read, I want, actually just want to point out to you Genesis 15. Sorry, Genesis 18, 1 to 15, real quick. Because in this passage, you can see where this kind of comes to life. But it's this mysterious story where Abraham um, is just out in the wilderness. And this creator God, Yahweh, I am, meets Abraham. He's sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest time of the day. And when Abraham looks up, he sees three men come standing across him. This is a really mysterious passage, by the way. Katie, I don't know if you have any light to, sh- to shed on this, but the three men. I'm sure. I would love to come to class. Just got to get my got to get my boy to cooperate here. Who's doing great, by the way. Um, these three men come to visit Abraham. I'm not going to try and identify who these guys are right now. That's, that's not the point. Go to Katie's class if you want to learn about this. But long and short of it is, Abraham comes and he greets them. He welcomes them. And he says, my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, don't pass by and leave your servant. Let's get some water. Let's get some food. And, you know, let me take care of you guys. Because he realizes there's something significant about these visitors. So he, he has a welcome invitation to these three men. That's the point I want to make. In John 8, these Jewish leaders who are arguing about their place in Abraham's lineage, they don't accept the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. These three men kind of come as representatives of Yahweh, in a sense. Jesus is coming as the true representative of the Lord, the Lord himself. He comes into their presence. And suddenly, these Jewish leaders, arguing about Abraham all day long, don't welcome him and accept him. So it's almost like John wants to show the contrast. It's a very dark contrast. Abraham welcomes these visitors who come in the name of the Lord. And then these Jewish leaders want to kill this representative who comes in the name of the Lord. See how that works? John is using the Old Testament story to retell how this is really going to go with Jesus. It's a scary destiny, but we start to see that Jesus 
once again as a marked man for death. But more importantly, the major point I want to drive home, and then I'm going to open this up to more questions. The major point I want to drive home is this. Jesus knows his identity. He knows that the Father has sent him into the world. There's no question about it. You read this and you see confidence just oozing out of Jesus. There's so much confidence in his identity and in his mission that he can be certain that when he goes to death, that's not going to be the end of the story. He can be that confident that he knows that his story does have a tragic place, but that's not the ending of the story. He's so tied into his identity that he knows I am. He knows it in his bones. He knows that he's a man, but he knows that he's tied into the identity of this God somehow. He knows that this is going to drive him to the hardest decision that any human being would ever have to make, and he's going to follow through with it. He's not going to bail. That's what it means to have your identity known and to live into it. Jesus knew his identity. And what I want to offer to you this morning is something to consider is do you know your identity? Do you know your identity? I've been reading this story. It's really written for children, but... I think adults could stand to read children's books every once in a while. It's never too old to remember what it's like to be a child. But I was reading a book called Mio, My Son. Anybody in here ever read that? Anybody ever read Pippi Longstocking? Okay. Same author, Astrid Lindgren. She wrote Mio, My Son. Beautiful story of this boy who grows up with his aunt and uncle which if you're a Harry Potter fan, this might sound oddly familiar. Uh, he grew up with his aunt and uncle who essentially didn't really like him that much. They didn't pay attention to him because for some reason his parents were out of the picture. His father had apparently died. And you read the beginning of this book and this boy wants to know who his father is. That's all he wants to know. He just wants to know who his father is. He can't settle for these stories that, oh yeah, well, he was just some guy. Like he knew in his bones that his father was significant. So one day, he gets taken to the kingdom of faraway land, conveniently named. He gets taken to this place, and wouldn't you know it, his father's alive. And the whole time, you just see this affection between father and son growing deeper through this whole story. But here's the thing that gets me the most about it. It's not that just that father and son are finally reunited and loving being in each other's uh, presence. Here's what the, strikes me the most. The whole story, it never changes. The boy addresses his father, the whole story, as my father the king. He never breaks calling him that. He always calls him my father, the king. He doesn't name him like Barry or Larry or Jerry. He, 
he's just my father, the king. Because his father is the king of faraway land. But the father also never breaks. And he always identifies the boy as Mio, my son. He always identifies him that way. He never just calls him Mio. He calls him Mio, my son. Absolutely beautiful. And yes, that story has made me weep a couple times. Here's the thing. Do you know your identity that well? Do you know your heavenly father that well? That you could just say, my father, the king, anytime? To be so confident that this God loves you. I mean, just think about it. He went to the extremes to show his love for you. No question about it. Because Jesus had that identity, not only had that identity, but he knew it in his bones. He was able to tell other people who he was with confidence, even if they disagreed with him. He makes his claim, I am. Guess what? The majority of people in that day disagreed with him and wanted to kill him. That didn't stop him from holding on to his identity. My encouragement to you today is to know that you are a son or a daughter of the king. You can live with that identity knowing, knowing that no matter who opposes you and says, that identity is not real, that identity is not based in reality, you can say, you know what, it is. You can disagree with me all day long, but I know to whom I belong. I belong to my father, the king, and I am his son or daughter. Nothing changes that. Nothing changes that. I realize we're a smaller group here today, but that's really all I wanted to tell you. I could dissect this passage a lot more because we covered, thank you, Tim, like so many verses. That was like a marathon of reading. But it was great because I wanted you to see that whole story in a sequence. It's just this building tension that ends up with Jesus identifying himself as I am. And you might feel tension in your life with other people who say, like, your faith is useless or your faith isn't real. And you say, it's fine that you believe that, but I am a child of the king. I'm not saying that to prove you wrong. I'm saying that because I know it. Never say these things to prove people wrong. Say them because you know it, you believe it, and you want it. You will discover the best things that God has designed for you in this life if you do that. Before I end, I just want to open up. Are there any questions about this passage? Any questions you have about anything about John's gospel? I'll give, I'll give you a minute to think, but John's gospel is beautiful. It's challenging. It's not easy. The language is clear, but that doesn't make it easy. 
So I want to give you a minute just to think, if you have any questions, let's talk about them while we have this small setting together. Almost like our own little life group. And anything is fair game. Sandy. I love that. I think that's a great way to sum up everything today. Just simply to say, Jesus was assured of who he was, and we're to be like Jesus. That's what a Christian is. If he's assured of who he is, then if I follow Jesus, it only makes sense that I'm assured of who I am. Now, it's okay to struggle with it, of course, but you better believe that Jesus wants us to be like him in this. He knew who he was. We should know who we are. Children of the king. When you go to pray today, maybe just open up your prayer, my father, the king. Open it up that way. See, see if that just deepens your relationship with God. Just try that out. Yeah. So the question's really about, and I'm repeating these just so everybody can hear just in case, but the question boils down to what's going on with the devil being the father of lies if Jesus is identifying his father and him being united in one? Uh, What's going on there and why did Jesus even bring that up? And really what it comes down to is, to answer your question, is the fact that they're trying to claim lineage to Abraham as enough to be children of God. If you're with Abraham's descendants, you're a child of God. doesn't matter. You've inherited it. It's promised to you. Jesus is saying, that's not what makes you a child of Abraham, and that's not thus what makes you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is to believe the one he sent. John's gospel is, by the way, if you really want to boil it down, it's all about believing the one that the Father sent. That's like the major theme that's going on there. Believing the one that the Father sent. So by calling them and identifying the devil as the father of lies, it's like, who's really your father? 
Who are you descended from? Because if you, do, if you don't accept the one that the Father sent, then you're a child of the devil, is what he's saying. You're not a child of Abraham anymore. Who are you believing? In other words, it's great. exactly right. And that actually reminds me of another aspect of the Abraham story. So Abraham is called by God to leave his home of Ur, right? And he's to travel to the land of Canaan. This is going to be your land. Abraham hears the word of God, leaves everything behind, country, family, pretty much everything, social standing to go and follow God. He believes God in that moment and he does what he says. The difference with the Jewish leaders, another contrast is they don't believe God this time. They're not willing to give up their social standing as people who have religious power. They're not willing to give that up. And that's the difference. And that ties again into not being a real child of Abraham. Biology is not what makes you a child of God. It's accepting the one that God sent, Jesus of Nazareth. Accepting him as the son of God is what makes you a child of Abraham and thus a child of God. Thank you for pointing that out, Mac. It's really good. Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One, that sounds a lot like a caste system. Yeah, Uh, sure. But I like the contrast that John the Baptist made in Luke 3 8. When yeah. He says, Don't say you're good because you're Abraham's son. He said, If God wanted to, he could turn these rocks into Abraham's kids. That's right. That's exactly right. And Joel's making a reference to Luke 3, where John the Baptist, <laughs> he's essentially asking, like, Who told you to come here to this baptism? Who told you to come here? You brood of vipers. Who told you to be here? And don't hide behind Abraham, okay? You can't do that because God can make children of Abraham out of these stones. Love that point. That is my son, by the way. (laughs) I love his excitement. Jack, my son. So, in a nutshell, you are a child of God. And you can address God as my father, the king. Thank you for asking questions and engaging. But Tina, no, no question? Okay. Thank you for asking questions today and making this a good discussion. This is a nice change of pace. I'm going to pray us out. And then we're going to actually take communion to close today. um, Just to center our thoughts around Jesus' sacrifice. So I'm going to invite Kayla up here in a second to um, uh, just get our thoughts together for communion.
But let's pray, and then we're going to do this. Most high God, we thank you once again, my Father the King, for loving us first, even when we didn't love anybody but ourselves. You loved us first. Help us walk forward today knowing that our identity is as children of God. That before we are anything else, before we are a teacher, before we are, before we are a parent, before anything else, we are children of God. And everything else we do, our teaching, our parenting, our work, whatever it is, it gains its goodness by knowing that we belong to you. Because those are still good things, but help them be shaped by our identity in you, O oh Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name.